0: Speaking of Soderbergh.
1: The man has made a lot of movies.
0: What a prolific (laughs) director. I remember like 10 years ago or so, he was like, I'm retiring. Oh, yeah. I'm done. I've only got about 30 movies left (laughs) that I got to wrap up. And then I'm out of here.
1: Hello, Mission Recall listeners. I'm Oriana Schwind.
0: And I'm Steve Parkhurst.
1: And today, we're tripping up the stairs and accidentally shooting ourselves in the head during a heist gone wrong. Your intros just keep getting better and better. Just more and more insane. If you haven't guessed, which you probably didn't, we are talking Steven Soderbergh's Out of Sight, starring George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez.
0: Well, they might have guessed because it's the title of the podcast. (laughs) Shh. But uh, now, one reason I might not have guessed is because this is about '90s action movies. Look, you made it.
1: You had us do Apollo 13, which is not actually an action movie. So I figured I deserved one that is not really an action movie.
0: And I have no choice but to allow it. Uh, but also, I had a great time.
1: So, so really, no one no one was hurt in the making of <laughs> of the out of sight episode. I guess
0: the one listener who's like action movies, all what right, go this, guys, what is this, this um, bullshit. But one there is star.
1: okay. So here's the thing. Like, yes, I don't. I am of the opinion like this isn't an action-action movie. No, I mean, um, it isn't. It's not it isn't, an action, it action movie. It isn't. But there are action-y sequences. People get shot. This does feel more sort of along the lines of, like, a Men in Black where the action is even more sort of tangential to the main story. Like, So the source material here is, is an Elmore Leonard story, and Elmore Leonard is an incredible writer, but he's more focused on, like, I don't know how, how criminals are dumb. <laughs> it's not whiz bang Armageddon.
0: Like. Right. It's action and spirit. They're doing things that are action y. They're doing heists. They're robbing. They're breaking out of prison. Yeah. Uh, you know, running away. Dry, you know, yeah. Like, but like, it's all just so cool.
1: Yeah, and it's, like, it's very slick. That is, and like, that word applies to like most of Soderbergh's ooh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> to his what now?
1: How do you say,
0: <laughs> "Au revoir"?
1: Ouvre, 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 ouvre. I think. I think. Anyway, fuck the French.
0: <laughs> we can all agree.
1: Anyway, Soderbergh's body of work tends to be pretty,
0: generally slick. pretty um, cool. And even, this was like the height of his, yes. I'd say, slick era. This was.
1: This was three. Years before Ocean's Eleven, two three two or three years yeah, before this was nineteen ninety eight. This was also peak. Um, Let's adapt Elmore Leonard into into movies. Um, Get Shorty was nineteen ninety five. script by the same screenwriter Scott Frank. So I guess Did he like
0: DeVito also produced that one because he was uh, in I, it.
1: Yes, I believe it was also a Jersey Girls production. Mm. Um, Jackie Brown, obviously, was 1997, although that was, you know, Tarantino doing... But it
0: was still an adaptation. But yes,
1: it was uh, an adaptation of Rum
0: Punch. And interestingly, many argue his best uh, movie, certainly one of his best.
1: I actually haven't haven't seen Jackie Brown somehow.
0: I've seen it, uh, but I've only seen it a couple of times. Mm. It was never my favorite, although I can kind of confirm it is very good.
1: Yeah. It's kind of between this and Contagion for, like, my favorite Soderbergh movie. Could not have two more different movies.
0: I do think it's worth diving into a little bit of Soderbergh's uh, filmography because it's absolutely fucking enormous. Do we want to do that now or do we want to wait? Because, like, there's this is sort of Soderbergh's. Peak era, I think. Yeah. But like, that's a lot to discuss. So, do we want to talk about Out of Sight? Yeah. Let's let's talk about how
1: good this movie
0: is. Uh, And it's it's great.
1: It's about two hours. So I had seen this a bunch of times because it was George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez is also really. Really hot in this, and they're very hot together. It's
0: crazy how hot they are. Yeah, (laughs) like just watching this, it's like, oh my fucking god! The
1: the screen is gonna combust. Yeah, like my television. Oh no! And it's not even like there's no nudity in this. There's no nudity. There's it, not even any.
0: They cut away really before the sex scene, like yeah, they just there's very, make they're very they're making out
1: and they're like yes, it's implied that they're naked, but you don't see much. Like there's you know a dream a short dream sequence near the beginning of the movie where Jennifer Lopez climbs over George Clooney in a bathtub, but she is fully clothed, uh, and it's still like the hottest thing ever.
0: It's very good. I
1: think I wonder if part of it is because Soderbergh understands the female gaze and is able to have both male and female gaze kind of present
0: like it, it does feel remarkably equal yeah. uh, in a way that like was very uncommon it's still pretty uncommon but in like the 90s and and then in the early 2000s it was all male gaze and so for this to be Just, like, they're both gazing at each other because, holy shit, that's George Clooney. Holy shit, shit. that's Jennifer Lopez. Like,
1: yes, there are lots of, like, loving shots of Jennifer Lopez's figure.
0: There are, but it's never gratuitous. It doesn't feel
1: gratuitous, and I'm kind of curious how he managed, how Soderbergh managed to do that. Like, it's like like the anti-Michael Bay. It is.
0: Oh, that's actually well observed. (laughs) Uh, No, you're totally right. Like, obviously... We see Jennifer Lopez's figure, and Mm -hmm. she looks great, but the way she's shot, it's actually kind of similar to the way Clooney is shot, Mm -hmm. where, like... They're both just well-tailored. Yes. Uh, and like the, you know, the quote-unquote naked shots, it's always just like her back. Yeah. You know, like you see her in her underwear for a second, but like it's... It's pretty
1: tame it's underwear, pretty tame. honestly.
0: Yeah, it's not some sexy lingerie. It's yeah. just sort of shit you wear under your, your FBI uniform. Yeah,
1: it's. I mean, it is it is fancy. It is lacy, and it does match because it's a movie.
0: Well, sure, but it's not like what you would expect in like a Michael Bay movie. right? And like... Yeah, it's fascinating uh and quite a balancing act because this was also like Jennifer Lopez was was blowing up and getting very famous mm-hmm. and was a sex symbol. And so to have a movie with her and not have it be exploitative yeah. in the late 90s yeah. is pretty impressive.
1: In a a movie too, like I I know I've talked in the past about a pet peeve of mine where the only way we can show a woman wielding power is to give her, like, a sword or a gun or whatever. And this should feel like that. This Mm. should feel like, ugh, like, of course. But she does, she feels like a very hot federal marshal, though. Like, she has that, like, that coolness that all Elmore Leonard uh, protagonists sort of have.
0: I think it is because she and Clooney's uh, energies match where mm-hmm. there's not like an arc for her where she has to realize that she is she is, loves him she or is not even that I I was gonna say like she doesn't have to realize that she's a a boss bitch that she's right. a badass she
1: knows she is she knows she is capable and like she does experience sexism, but it's not like a thing that she gets like mad about. She just kind of goes, Well, I'm gonna fucking do this then. Right. Like I'm done.
0: Well, and that that experience like in the bar just before she and Clooney meet for real in Detroit, like and she's kind of batting away those ad agency oh my guys. God. That is like kind of run-of-the-mill sexism. Uh, but it's also used mm-hmm. to just show the huge gulf between <laughs> regular schmoes and then you got George Clooney wandering in. And he's basically doing the same thing, technically. Yeah. Of, like, walking up to a woman and introducing himself. And yet, yeah, it's fucking George Clooney. Of
1: course. I mean, you know, their first meeting, like, the movie is really well paced in terms of, like, when we get to see Karen and Jack. Jack Foley is is George Clooney's character. When we see them together, you know, the first time we see them together... They are locked in a trunk together because George Clooney is ex- is escaping prison. And she's been taken not quite uh, as a hostage, really, like... Yeah, no, she kind is. Of. She's locked in a trunk. Um, but, like, it's never, like she never we'll feels use like she's her in, as a
0: shield or anything like yeah she never feels in mortal danger it never what's interesting is Clooney does have a line in the beginning that feels very kind of late 90s where he, he says like I could have my way with you yeah. if I wanted but um, I would and never I,
1: I've never done that
0: and that is I don't know if that's the movie sort of acknowledging like the situation and just being like yeah don't worry this is that's not where this is gonna go yeah uh, to kind of set the audience at ease because it's not that kind of movie at all
1: no one wants to see George Clooney as a rapist right
0: uh, but it is interesting that it it's one of the few moments that feels more of its time because mm-hmm. like that was always such a popular topic. In pretty much every movie, there's
1: also so you know lots of scenes in this movie take place in various prisons. And what I found fascinating, so at the very beginning, the the George Clooney breaks out of prison with a couple other guys, and one of them is Luis Guzman, and we love he's Luis. fantastic. Uh, happy to see him. Always.
0: Same year he did Boogie Nights. He had a good year. That's
1: the man. The mid '90s or late '90s at that point. Yeah. But, so, what's interesting is there's, like, one prison rape threat. It's not a joke. It's yeah. a threat. But Luis Guzman has, like, a like a concubine, almost, yeah. clearly. And it's, it's a, an effeminate man, but it's never commented on. Yeah. Literally ever. No one says anything. No one makes a shitty joke. Yeah. No one makes a drop-the-bar of soap. It's kind of weird to see that like oh my god there were there was media in the 90s that wasn't obsessed with
0: it is kind of crazy homophobia prison rape the drop the soap prison rape jokes are probably the they've lasted the longest of yeah. all the kind of things that you would think would be totally taboo by now mm-hmm. and they have fallen out of favor you don't seem as much as you used to but, boy, back then... That was
1: it. That, that was, was like, like all, all
0: the every fucking time. Like, whole shows and movies revolved like around, like, gay panic in prison.
1: There was that... It was, what, like a Will Ferrell movie or something? Yep.
0: Where uh, he Get hi- Hard. Yeah!
1: That,
0: that was, like... Late 2000s? I'd say, like, early 2010s. Jesus. Uh, that, uh, there was a Will Arnett movie called Let's Go to Prison that was a bunch of the same shit. Like, every sketch comedy... They
1: built... They, yeah, they built... Entire movies and shows around that, and the yet
0: fear of of getting raped. in And prison. yet this
1: 1998 movie has none, none of that.
0: Yeah, I think there's one line that's said in kind of a succession of lines where Don Cheadle's character you know, threatens Albert Brooks's character.
1: Yeah, it's like you're gonna fall on my dick or something. Yeah, something to that effect. And it's one time. Yeah. It's more of a threat than a joke. Yeah, it's definitely not
0: treated as a joke.
1: I like did not notice that in the times that I had watched it until now. I think I'm a lot more aware of of, of that kind of thing and why it sucks and (laughs) the the fact that it's totally it's basically absent from this movie is
0: wild what is pretty remarkable is how well this movie ages like even the lines that kind of reference things that are sort of taboo now are not like treated in the way you expect them to be in That era, Mm. like prison rape stuff, like uh, or you know, in the back of the in the trunk, Mm -hmm. the guys hitting on her in the bar, like uh, even
1: that's like pretty mild. It's very mild. It's like. Very pickup artist one oh
0: one. Nowadays, that scene would be treated as an opportunity for Clooney to come in and like kick those guys' ass, or for her or for J Lo to kick their asses, or like, just to, or to just
1: be like really mean and cutting
0: or that. And
1: like, it's not that JLo Lo isn't cutting in that scene because like there's this one ad guy he's talking about like being in town for some margarita mix thing and JLo lo is like andy who gives a shit <laughs> and it's not like it's it's cutting but it's not like overly snarky it's just like come on man
0: it's a movie that you could make today except you can't and we'll talk about that yeah but like and change basically none of the script yeah and it'd be fine you would not have to change
1: anything about this
0: yeah Which is pretty cool. And all the while, again, for a movie that's kind of PG in in certainly sexual situations, no nudity, no sex scenes, like just the sexiest fucking thing. And it's all about like them just looking at each other and having little bon mots and and clever, you know, like turns of phrase at each other. Not even that clever. They're just sort of being smoldering. Yeah. I think the major
1: overarching factor that makes this movie so successful and Um, hot is it's sensual rather than sexual. And, And that is like really important because it implies intimacy. The conversation between the two of them in the trunk of the car is their first conversation. And the intimacy there doesn't come from them being physically like, <laughs> spooning. Right. It's, you know, they connect over movies, which is a huge Elmore Leonard trope. That I'm sure
0: Soderbergh was big b- into Absolutely as well.
1: loved it. Um, and I think that is part of why uh, screenwriters and directors really love Elmore Leonard's work, aside from the fact that it's just good and the the man understands the value of like crisp dialogue that doesn't sound overwritten
0: it's like a lot of people learn the wrong lessons because the dialogue is so crisp and it is clever but Mm -hmm. it's not wordy
1: yeah it's not screenwriter clever clever. it's regular person clever anyway so the scene in the in the trunk is really interesting to see to watch them build to the intimacy that, like, the real intimacy doesn't come until after they get out of the trunk, interestingly enough, where she, like, chooses not to shoot him after he's out of the trunk.
0: Well, and then, you know, they spend the next, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes kind of circling each other. He ends up in Detroit. Like, they see each other before he leaves Mm -hmm. in in the elevator. Mm -hmm. And, like, yeah, it's this nice little dance. And it is, like, you know they will. It's not so much a will they, won't Mm -hmm. they. But it is, like, how? How?
1: How oh. will this happen? And then he walks into the hotel bar in a scene that Soderbergh repeats in Ocean's Eleven with Julia Roberts, but I, and I'll fucking take it, I don't care.
0: A couple of uh, things here where, like, it's not all that dissimilar from our previous episode, Heat, where yes, you have... we're building. <laughs> we're building to this meeting. Uh, we're waiting for it. We, we know it's going to happen. And then it's just two people at a table. Yeah, yeah In this coffee. case, having a drink uh, instead of having, having coffee. Having some bourbon, which, uh, which we, we are also having. Yeah, if you hear any uh, ice clinking on a glass, that's because the movie said, drink bourbon. It's cool. And... And I'm just like, well, yeah, I want to be cool like J Lo. I want to be cool like George. Uh, so we're we're drinking, and we are. I can confirm, we are as cool as them. It's smoldering, mm-hmm. smoldering looks happening over this microphone. Oh, we're both in our underwear right now.
1: <laughs> I don't think anyone wants that. <laughs> no one, no one wants that S- mental image.
0: Smoldering. <laughs> uh, but like, so you've got the similar to it is De Niro it is it
1: like it did actually. It reminded me of this, and I know that like. Heat came out first, and I'm sure that another crime drama,
0: yeah, uh, but very different, yes. Um, and also, I was kind of noticing that it feels in a lot of ways like a prequel to Ocean's Eleven mm-hmm. different characters, different, yeah, you know, completely different uh scenario, etc. But it is like the vibe is very similar,
1: yeah. I mean, the what helps with that comparison too is that the composer is the same for Out of Sight and Ocean's Eleven.
0: It's David Holmes. Kind of a smooth jazzy.
1: Yeah. Almost softcore porn at, times, uh, at a few at times. times and like I I do think they dialed that down a bit for Oceans Eleven.
0: They did, because that was more of a boys will be boys.
1: Yeah, kind of there's thing. no one getting shot in the head or anything, and also, there, like, like
0: there's a sexiness to it, but it's not a smoldering movie. Like, the sexiness is just cool operators. Yeah,
1: it's... Okay, I'm going to say something really controversial where I think J-Lo's performance in this is better than Julia Roberts' performance in, in
0: I'd, no, i Home. No, I'd agree with you.
1: Actually, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me. I don't think this is an actual controversial take. It's not
0: that Julia Roberts does a bad job, but she's a little flat.
1: She's a little flat, and part of it is the character is yeah. just kind of not given too much to do. I also think that this is not about Ocean's Eleven, but like, <laughs> um, but I think in the, in Ocean's Eleven, Julia Roberts was done a great disservice with her hair. Mm. It's the wrong hairstyle for her, for the character. It saps her of a sort of vitality and energy, and uh, that's my opinion about that. J. Lo looks great, although they also kind of do a similar thing where it's
0: very, but it's also just the 90s. That it's was sort of, the looks... 90s and the
1: early 2000s. If you had curly hair, you were straightening it. Ha- ask me how I know. <laughs>
0: Uh, but it was also like straightened and kind of looking like the Rachel a little bit at times. That was
1: absolutely the Rachel haircut. Yeah, absolutely. She was like one of the few people on on which that actually works.
0: Rachel, you the
1: mean? no uh Lo. Oh J Lo in this oh, movie. Yeah. No, actually. she still
0: looks great. But you're right. It is the you know very late '90s haircut. Uh, you the, know, highlights the highlights also look the, very. The eyebrows. Yeah, the and,
1: eyebrows are so thin. Yeah. What a that went
0: on for decades. Too long,
1: man. Yeah. You can tell a millennial at a glance. Millennial and Gen X cuz we all had our eyebrows plucked within an inch of their lives. Ugh, what a waste.
0: Yeah, now everyone overcorrected though and I see some absolutely massive eyebrows out yeah, there. Yeah, it's it's a little It's weird. Like let's find the middle. middle. Right? It's we fine. We don't need to, you know, just all be looking like fucking Sasquatch.
1: But uh, in this movie, everyone looks great. And George Clooney wears a, a couple of silly outfits, but no one looks too crazy. No,
0: Clooney is you know wearing like, like one of
1: them. It's, it's this it just he's like I, I'm supposed to look like a tourist, like because oh, they're yeah. trying to evade. No, he's wearing like a not a Kangol, but like a
0: flat cap. It is sort of a Kangol. It kind of is. Yeah, but yeah, like Ving Rhames is there as his. Oh, he's uh, great
1: in this. Friend,
0: yeah, he's he's terrific. This you know what he, a great run he was
1: having. Couple in of the years mid-90s. after Mission Impossible,
0: yep. and yeah, he's great. You get Samuel L. Jackson at the end, at the, at very, the very end. end. Yeah, sort of teasing sequels that would never happen, which is kind of a bummer.
1: It is. And was there just like an, an end to the let's adapt Elmore Leonard stuff, I guess?
0: Uh, maybe. You know, there did feel like there was a shift. Of, it was probably a nine eleven shift. Oh. Um, but also like superhero movies started getting made in, in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and like... It seemed like there was a trend sort of away from this style of, like, cool crime movies. As people finally cooled on, like, Tarantino, Elmore Mm. Leonard, they kind of moved over into, now we're all ripping off The Matrix instead of ripping off Tarantino.
1: Yeah, I wonder how much The Matrix actually influenced these kinds of movies just totally falling by the wayside, with the exception of the Oceans franchise, That's kind of the exception that proves the rule.
0: Yeah, like, Oceans kind of became its own thing. Um, I don't know if, like, The Matrix is really to blame, because I think, like, that was a certain kind of movie, but I think it was...
1: Spider-Man and X-Men and...
0: Yeah, between, like, The Matrix, Spider-Man, and the X-Men movies, it did feel like all the oxygen was being used up with these, because, like, The Matrix just inspired so many copycats, and, like... You know, Out of Sight is not a Tarantino copycat by any no, means. No, it's
1: very. It is very Soderbergh. But
0: like, I do think it got greenlit because all those movies mm-hmm, were getting mm-hmm. greenlit. You know, you had Snatch, you had Go, right. you had Get Shorty. Yeah. Well, Get Shorty was ninety five. It was ninety five. Yeah, yeah that, so, that might have been like Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah, Pulp
1: Fiction, Get Shorty, like that was. I happening. think there was really
0: just a gold rush of. Uh, cool crime dramas, yeah, uh, and no because one and, and no Tarantino. one was cooler
1: than Elmore Leonard, I right. think. Yeah, like
0: that's the easiest, quickest person to go to for adaptations, where you'll mm-hmm. get kind Just, of that cool vibe, and you don't have yep. to pay to hire Tarantino. Exactly, uh, and
1: yeah, like they kind of adapt themselves almost. Not to like Scott Frank, I'm sure did like a, a very good job. But I do recall the justified pilot uh, comes from a an Elmore Leonard story called Fire in the Hole. And it's actually in the same short story collection as one of the Karen Sisko. Oh. stories. And actually the Karen Sisko story was the title of the book until Justified came out and they renamed it. Oh. But uh, I remember reading Fire in the Hole after watching the Justified pilot and going, oh my God, it's just this. And like interviewing Graham Yost, who who adapted the story for the Justified pilot. And he was like, yeah, no, if it, why would you change? Like, right? don't, don't, mess with don't fuck with that. Like, and I was like, yeah, you know, this seems like a a pretty good strategy. I do wanna shout out the editor here, Anne V Coates, who died in in twenty eighteen, so kind of a while ago now, Jesus. Well, it's almost five years ago. Um, but it is very interesting to think about the fact that, like, she edited this movie uh, and a bunch of other movies, including Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia and this. Just go IMDb her.
0: I would just be so intimidated to give my footage to somebody like her. Jesus Christ, you worked with David Lean? Like, you fucking edited Lawrence of Arabia? Like, who the fuck am I? Yeah, I, I gotta right? go. I gotta get out. I'm so sorry for wasting <laughs> your time.
1: <laughs> and she fit into the Soderbergh, like, voice. Voice, is that what we would call it? Yeah.
0: I, I, style. Style voice. I guess. Uh, Yeah, and I think that's the mark of a good editor is, you know, working with the director to find the style that works for that movie, and also, like, understanding what the director wants, maybe better than what the director even understands, and working to make the movie better. Mm -hmm. One thing I was noticing as I was watching is, you know, Soderbergh's kind of famous for not doing a lot of coverage. Like, he Mm -hmm. just kind of runs and guns. That's why he can make, like, five movies a fucking year. (laughs) And yet there were so many, like, really clean edits in this, going from, like, a wide to a medium, like, pretty basic stuff. But, like, it was just cut so smoothly that Mm. you almost didn't notice the cut. It'd be something as simple as somebody uh, sitting in a car and it's a fairly Mm -hmm. wide shot and then it goes to like a mid-close. But the way it goes just as the person turns their head or looks in the rearview mirror or something, the cut on the action, but it's not like a big action. It's just this little moment. Mm -hmm. And using that like just gives it such... Flow, Yeah. It gives it just such a nice...
1: Slickness, almost. A a
0: slickness, a a musicality. mm, Like, there's mm -hmm. a lot of edits to the music, of course. Yeah. I think it's those smaller moments that really just help the whole movie just move right along. Like, it's paced so nicely. And Mm -hmm. I think part of that is that the scenes are very quick.
1: Yeah. We don't, we don't linger in a way that is unnecessary. Some of it almost feels TV like, uh, in that, like we, we have hard act breaks with freeze frames.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of freeze frames, um, which I actually kind of, I think it kind of works for this oddly.
1: Normally I'm not super into that, but it does feel
0: It's funny that there's like, Still, kind of an artifice. Still, sort of a movie folks being mm-hmm. stars, almost. Mm-hmm. Like it reminds me of going back to Tarantino. I guess mm. uh, in an interview he did where he said, like, Kill Bill is the movie my characters in Pulp Fiction would be watching. Oh, like, it's such a heightened reality yeah. that it's can only exist in the universe of Pulp Fiction. And I appreciate movies that just lean into them being movies and are unapologetic about it Mm. and are just like, yeah, we're going to have some freeze frames. You know, (laughs) you're going to come along for the ride. Yeah. And like these are people who are just better versions of, of humans.
1: Yeah, yeah. and what's really interesting is, for all the slickness that that we have discussed, this still feels very like it has a lot of texture. The world has a lot of texture, and part of that is the source material. Elmore Leonard is very good at writing guys like just little guys, Guys. little Steve Zahn's. Zahn's so
0: good in this. He is,
1: like, what, I'm not going to say it's his best performance, but, like, it is kind of up there.
0: It's just really funny. It's sort of an Owen Wilson-ish before before Owen Wilson. I guess Owen Wilson was around. He was around. But, like, he hadn't quite, like, exploded yet. You'd expect the character to be the stoner in a high school movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, he's you yeah. know uh, this kind of weird accomplice. Like he's the guy who, who guy. just
1: completely fucks everything up all the time, which is a stock Elmore Leonard character. In but he gets
0: away at the end, and
1: he gets away. But that's and like they usually do yeah. in the sort of Raylan Givens portion of the Elmore Cinematic Universe. Oh boy. The ECU. <laughs> the ECU. Uh, go pirates. Eastern Carolina. Oh jeez. University.
0: Sports nerd over here. You
1: know, I'm the cool girl. I drink bor- drink, I, bourbon. drink bourbon. <laughs> I'm drink-
0: the cool girl. I drink a <laughs> de Bourbon. Fuck. S- Swedish. Uh, uh, Shit.
1: Trying to do trying to speak Dutch and it comes out Swedish. But no, uh the like Steve Zahn character uh in the justified world, there's one named Dewey Crow who is like very similar. We watched the Justified Pilot. He's the guy with the Heil Hitler neck tattoo. Oh. Just the big dumb dumb. Yeah. He's comic relief, but he yeah. also like adds a lot of texture to the world and, and like, moves the plot along. Moves the plot along. It's really deft what Out of Sight does, and a lot of other Elmore Leonard adaptations do. Uh, the successful ones. Sure. I
0: have been thinking about texture lately. I know we've talked about it a, a lot. lot. <laughs> uh, but just like I think what that means in reality is filling your films or TV shows with little guys. Little guys, guys. Basically.
1: and, the, and uh, gender neutral. Like it's just... Yeah.
0: F- a little guy is gender neutral.
1: Yeah. It's uh, just a person who is in their own little movie. Yeah. You get a glimpse of that. So I think a lot about like the woman in outbreak. She's just like a clerk uh, at like the shipyard or something where like Dustin Hoffman's like trying to get information about like the the ship that had the contaminated monkey on it and she like talks about her cheating husband or whatever and she's just on screen for like a few seconds and out of sight has like a bunch of that shit like Viola Davis is in this movie and which is great she's great she is awesome only one scene one scene and she like really makes a meal of it uh, in in the best way possible she has this like great conversation with J-Lo that same scene continues and Isaiah Washington comes in and Jennifer lopez has to like hit him with a with a stick with a baton with a collapsible baton and it's fantastic yeah
0: yeah she's put in these situations where she could be in danger but she never really feels in danger she always feels very much in control of
1: yeah there's the tension situation. because yeah. you're like oh how is she, is she gonna-, gonna
0: wriggle her way out mm-hmm. of this one and then she does by beating somebody with a baton. Uh, but yeah, like to your point about texture, I always go to the trailer park manager in No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. She's my go-to example of texture, where it's just a woman. Anton Sugar walks in and asks about Josh Brolin's character, and she says, "Sir, we can't give out no information mm-hmm. about our residents." Mm-hmm. And it's that's it, you never see her again. But like she's in her own movie. She's yep. got a whole lot going she
1: has on. a whole day.
0: Yeah. And that's what it means to have texture. And I think that's something Soderbergh understands really well. Which Coens is again do. kind
1: of weird given how smooth his movies feel
0: what it is is that people confuse texture with grit nowadays you want gritty movies and gritty tv shows trauma uh, and lots of trauma but also just like it looks rough it looks like you know tough and and it's like
1: no i can tell that that's fake
0: rough well and even if it is like a real rough gritty movie gritty is not texture like you want your texture to just be a fully lived in world. Where everybody is doing their own thing. Does it feel like people
1: live here? Do people live here? Not, do you have lots of extras? Does it feel like people live in this world? Right.
0: And out of sight, it looks beautiful. Like it's, you know. Colorful. Colorful. Actually shot on film, of course, because it was 98. There is like the blue filter over the Detroit scenes. Yeah, which is fun. Which is funny. Um,
1: But when they go, they go to like rob the house of a a rich former inmate. Um, Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks. Fucking everyone is in this movie. And the inside of the house. I was just looking at it, and like there's these like buttery yellows from the from the warm light. You can see
0: everyone's skin tones. I'm always amazed at how fast Soderbergh shoots, but how good his movies look. They should mm-hmm. look kind of like shit.
1: Even the ones that are mm, maybe not not maybe as not. good,
0: but they always look pretty solid uh maybe some exceptions for when he like experiments with shooting on an iphone or something sure and even that it's like oh yeah right. it's he gets a lot out of an iphone yeah uh but like he does just understand how to do some pretty basic lighting but like that feels like an increasingly rare skill it Does um, what's interesting that you noted is that there's no cinematographer Uh, In the credits for Out of Sight. And I suspect that's because Soderbergh tends to literally be the DP. uh, And probably for union reasons, he can't be listed twice. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he has like a a cameraman who helps him. I would assume some sort of AC. Maybe the person does shoot some as well. But I suspect on this, he was probably just holding the camera. He's pretty
1: impressive. He is able to achieve real intimacy. Like, I keep going back to that being why this movie is so wonderful. (laughs) He gets right in their faces. And actually, it's the space between their faces that he is really good at capturing. Like, the intensity of the gaze between them. It's an art to know how to look at a person.
0: Clooney is probably one of the all-time knowing-how-to-look-at-people
1: actors out there. Yeah, Hall of Fame first ballot.
0: Yeah, like, he can just... Uh, look at somebody and so much is conveyed and it doesn't necessarily have to be he's looking at them in a sexy way. No. It can just, you know, the way he kind of just eyes people. It's like, oh, that person's being read. Mm -hmm. That person is fully understood now. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure he gets quite enough credit for how much he's able to convey in looks. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably his biggest strength as an actor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because he always does kind of play Clooney. It's rare that he'll ever be anything other than Clooney. But like, when you're Clooney, why would you not? Why
1: wouldn't you? And the other thing that makes him a genuine joy to watch is how open he is to clowning on himself and just looking the fool, playing the fool. He gets the shit kicked out of him here, like, a couple times, yeah. several times, to- like, a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always, like, he's just all in. He's all in.
0: Yeah, he commits. Like, the way he's able to take a punch mm. and sell it, he could have been in WWE, you know, in a, <laughs> yeah. different, in a different world. Uh, and this was the same year he did Oh Brother Where Art Thou, one of my personal favorites. I, can't,
1: I still can't believe that was 98.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Oh, no, I'm wrong. That was 2000. And that's another one where he clowns on himself. He -hmm. takes a punch. Uh, He's even more buffoonish than... Yeah, absolutely. Because here he strikes a balance of being the coolest guy you've ever seen. And smart. And smart. And then also a giant dummy who gets himself into pickles. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's that's a hell of a balancing act. Like, how do you sell that and not make it be a contradiction uh, and kind of like almost like a plot hole mm -hmm. Uh, a character hole yeah Mm -hmm. late you're like yeah
1: you're like i do believe that this guy is like smart enough to not use an actual gun while robbing a bank but he is also like i'm gonna go fuck the the marshal
0: that's what makes his character so fun in this is he kind of can't get out of his own way at times. Not all the time. No. Like, I think the opening scene is we start with him throwing his tie on the ground mm-hmm. in a fit and then walking across the street and robbing a bank. And, you know, it's this nice mix, especially when you learn later on, mm-hmm. that he was leaving because he kind of got insulted by Albert Brooks's character because he was offered a, you know, a job as a security guard. Yeah. Like a, a nine-to-five, uh, you know, probably getting paid like... I don't minimum know, six bucks an or hour or whatever. And so that's why he's mad and that's why he acts impulsively to go rob the bank even though he had just gotten out of prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is his character in a nutshell is like here's a guy who is very smooth and very good at yeah, robbing banks. Who can pull off an
1: impromptu bank heist, except like, you know, his Honda fails him and so he gets caught. And like,
0: yeah, because he was impulsive. He didn't mm -hmm. think it through. He should have had a more reliable car or just planned out the heist better in the first place. So if I may, I'd like to go into a quick little diatribe about how movies nowadays tend to be about 12-dimensional chess. Everybody's playing everybody else. Everybody is... So clever and thinking in a way that it only reveals itself at the end. You can't possibly follow along. And it's kind of was born out of, everyone's going to guess it on Reddit and Twitter. Mm. And we need to outsmart the audience. So shows like Westworld, Mm. uh, even like later Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. where they felt like whatever you think is happening, it's actually something else. Mm -hmm. And then you're surprised and shocked and like, oh my God, what a twist. But if you actually stop and think about it, like the characters weren't acting in a way that made any sense. No. Unless they knew an audience was watching.
1: I feel like the apotheosis of this was the Lord of the Rings show on Amazon, which if you want a lengthy discussion of that, go check out the By the Bywater podcast, Wow, which I may or may not be a co-host of, but we did an entire episode talking about the big mystery reveal. We won't spoil it on this podcast, um, but it is written for the audience, and if you watch the show, no... Knowing it, you're like, this doesn't make sense. Like,
0: why would this character be doing these things and acting this way mm-hmm. uh, if that's not who that person is? If secretly mm-hmm. they're actually this person, then they know they're this person. Yeah. This is clearly to trick the audience. Yeah. So, do they know there's an audience watching? And it also goes into like everybody, I know I've talked about like everyone is a superhero now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, don't mean that literally, but like people can take endless punches and get shot and fall off buildings Fucking and still Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious, John Wick. And here, you know, when these guys fight, they're just sort of scrapping on the floor. They are
1: it's so it's so low rent in a very believable yeah. way.
0: They're fighting the way you would actually fight if you were to get in yeah. a knockdown drag out fight with someone. It's not perfect punches. You know, where you both square yeah. up and just like. You're just kind of wrestling. <laughs> you're wrestling, you know? It's ugly and sweaty and. Mm. The um, Deadwood
1: uh, fight between Swearingen and Bullock is a good example of just a brutal pounding, like, rather than like a fight, a well choreographed fight.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's the choreography that kind of kills it. And like for certain movies, for if you've got a Jackie Chan movie. Yeah. You know, if you've got a Kung Fu movie, I want good choreography. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. But every now and then I would like a just knockdown, drag out, ugly fight. An ugly bar fight. Yeah. Uh, Those are a lot of fun to watch, even if they're not the most beautifully choreographed. And also, these are people who are trying to outsmart each other, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but they're not geniuses. They're not no. like working on this sort of other dimension of, like, you know, in the end, uh, I'll have actually been playing them all along, even though oh. it seemed like I was getting mm-hmm. played. And then you walk off, and there's the reveal. It's the Kaiser Soze mm. thing, mm. Uh, which, like, that was clever at the time because we hadn't seen that, but now everyone's That's Kaiser everyone's Soze. <laughs> Uh, And it's exhausting.
1: It is exhausting. I'm really tired of it, especially given how stupid humans are in general. Like we've just spent the last several years being confronted somewhat violently at times, just on a daily basis with humanity's abject stupidity. Yeah, And I'm a little tired of that not being reflected. You don't. It's a fine line to walk because it's frustrating to watch people just be fucking stupid and make bad decisions all the time. Yeah. You don't want that. And I think this movie strikes a, does strike that balance where people make bad choices and they do dumb things. But it's like, yeah, I, I see why. I see why you would do that. I see why that would happen.
0: So in Out of Sight... Clooney and Ving Rhames do hatch a plan to outsmart uh, Don Cheadle and his group by basically going and robbing the house first. Mm-hmm. But then Don Cheadle outsmarts Clooney and says, like, nope, we're all going right now. You know, uh, because like so-and-so said this, uh, it's happening tomorrow night, but actually before he can rat us out, I think it was Steve Zahn, before Zahn can rat us out, we're just going to go right now. So that gets thrown into disarray. So it's a situation where Clooney ends up here, not because he was stupid necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's not watching dumb people be stupid the whole time. Like he was trying to outsmart him, but like... Things are chaotic and, and mm-hmm. shit just happens. Mm-hmm. And like that's something I don't like about the like twelve dimensional chess movies where like, yeah, your master plan, your overly complex, insanely intricate master plan only works if everybody does everything exactly there, the way yes. you need them to. There are so
1: many points of failure yeah. in, in that kind of plan.
0: There's so many variables. This movie understands that in a really nice way of like all right we've got this great plan and then uh well we're going tonight it's like well shit okay Okay. i guess we have to improvise (laughs) and the joy is in watching them improvise Mm -hmm. and so you know Clooney does kind of end up outsmarting but also gets an assist from jennifer lopez yeah uh, and also an assist from uh, the big guy, the big guy just uh, white guy, white
1: Bob, white, white guy, white boy, Bob, white
0: boy, Bob, mm-hmm. a nice little uh, plant and payoff. Isn't where it? Bob falls a couple of times. We,
1: we keep seeing him slip and fall. And it's like, man,
0: what a, what a klutz. Oh, gosh. Uh, and then it ends with him slipping and falling and shooting himself in the head as he's like about to shoot Clooney. So that's just a really nice like good little bit of screenwriting there. Yeah. It's, uh, fu- it's probably it's in fun. A, the Leonard novel, I don't know.
1: I actually yeah, this is one that I actually haven't read.
0: You know, so Clooney gets lucky as well as is smart, you know, like it's mm-hmm. a it's a good solid mix. Yeah. And that's that's what I like to see.
1: Yeah, and you know, he does he does get nabbed in the end by he does. Jennifer Lopez because like he makes both a good and bad decision he can't bear to leave there's a a woman in in the house that that is being robbed And she's clearly going to to be assaulted and probably killed. And Clooney is like, man, I just, I can't. And it's not that Ving Rhames' character, like, you know, is not... Bitches him. Yeah. He's like, no, I'll go with you. And Clooney is like, no, man, you know what? You like have gone above and beyond like you have a clear conscience here i will go and do this yeah
0: Yeah, it's a great character moment lovely uh and it fits who he is uh but it also shows some growth as well it's a nice moment that like he sacrifices himself uh Mm -hmm. to save these people because it's also he's also saving albert brooks Mm -hmm. who's kind of a shit yeah uh but like yeah it's it ties itself up pretty nicely and then you also are left with unfortunately a, a sequel that never happened right. where he you know meet, is uh, driven back down to Florida in a van that uh, Jennifer Lopez is in and he's with Samuel L Jackson mm-hmm. and they start talking and Jackson turns out to be a guy who's broken out of like nine prisons yeah and so like oh you know she was going to take me down last night, but she wanted to wait. So it's like, she's putting Clooney with the guy who's really good at breaking out of prisons. That's great. That's... What fun. That's true love. The next movie is going to be them breaking out of a prison. would that be
1: fun? And Karen's got to go after him. And,
0: oh no. Oh gosh. Well, maybe she helps him. Maybe. Maybe she uh, kind of gets, gets turned. I don't know.
1: They did make a Karen Cisco TV show. Oh really? Landgraf when he joined uh, Jersey Girl Productions. They must have bought the rights to the Karen Cisco character, I want to say, the production company. It ran on ABC, I want to say, for hmm. at least a season. It was uh, Carla Gugino was, was oh. Karen Sisko
0: in the TV show. She's always fun. I like She's Carla great. Gugino. She's great. Speaking of Soderbergh.
1: The man has made a lot of movies. What
0: a prolific <laughs> Director. I remember like 10 years ago or so, he was like, I'm retiring. Oh, yeah. I'm done. I've only got about 30 movies left (laughs) that I got to wrap up, and then I'm out of here. Soderbergh's interesting for me. I like him, and like it seems almost unfair to criticize because he has done a lot of movies I've seen that I just kind of haven't liked or have been pretty ambivalent on. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, okay, but. He's done, like, 50 fucking movies. right? Of course not all of them are going to be amazing. Like, yeah, it's easy to say, like, oh, Kubrick did nothing but bangers. Dude only made, like, nine fucking movies. Yeah. You know, same with, like, Tarantino or yeah. somebody. Or, like, or Cameron, even. Or like, Cameron. I mean, Cameron's a great example of, like, you know, if he had made one movie a year for the past 40 years, I don't think they'd all be Terminator 2. No. <laughs> It feels kind of shitty to criticize him because not only is he just pumping out movie after movie a lot of them are really good mm-hmm. and he's just making movies about people
1: yeah he's he's making the kinds of movies that i want
0: yeah he never got sucked into any of the like marvel machine or the star wars movies or even like i see a world where he could have become like an ep on some kind of law and order csi kind of show mm. and just kind of done that and mm. he, he did have a tv show he had the the nick yeah uh, which i watched like a season and a half of, and it's pretty good, it's pretty gruesome, Uh, Because it's about, like, kind of the advent of surgery, of modern surgery in New York City, the Knickerbocker uh, Hospital. But it is, it's well done. I think it got canceled. It was on, like, something weird, like Starz. It was
1: Cinemax. Cinemax, Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, like, two and out.
0: It's a shame. It should have been on, like, HBO. I think it was done a disservice by being on Cinemax. I think it needed a little bit more budget. There are a couple TV shows that he's been an
1: executive producer on, which is really interesting. Like, Starz had a show called the Girlfriend Experience that people oh, yeah. liked. And well, he, he was... made a
0: movie called The Girlfriend Experience. Oh, no kidding. And it became a show on Starz. Oh, stars. no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs>
0: yeah, because uh, I think like most of his stuff, he did a movie called Grey's Anatomy. I don't know if he was involved with the show after that wait he was an executive producer on red
1: oaks which was this early days of the amazon video experiment mosaic was the one that i was thinking of Um. that was like what is this
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, he does a lot where it's just like, "What is this?" Mm -hmm. But he, the man, clearly loves to just make movies. Like he could have very easily parlayed into EP work where he's getting paid a shitload and just kind of just putting his name on stuff, just putting his name on stuff, sitting back and relaxing. But he clearly has a love of filmmaking Mm -hmm. and doesn't seem to care about budgets or doesn't care enough to like do movies that will get him the budgets. Like, yeah. I'm sure he had opportunities to do big franchises. Yeah. And I don't think that interests him. No. Because he's stayed pretty small and nimble his whole career.
1: You hit the nail on the head. He is interested in movies and and shows about people. Like, I love Magic Mike. Uh, it's great. It's a great movie. It is about people. It he's is coming about, back for
0: the, the final sure Magic is. Mike. I'm oh. excited about that. <laughs>
1: going to like fly to New York just to see it at like the court street the theater.
0: <laughs> That's what's interesting is he's got some kind of cultural touchstones like Magic Mike and Ocean's Eleven, Out of Sight, uh, and then of course Contagion, which and is, I mean Contagion, like an actor which is like
1: genuinely just endlessly rewatchable. Yeah, Contagion sounds weird, is
0: no, it is though. It's a classic. I know, like it had a, a spike when COVID started, sure and that makes sense because you want to see smart people trying their best. To yeah. solve a problem. Yeah. Wishful thinking, it turns yeah. out. Out of sight was the height of Soderbergh. Yeah. Where he'd done quite a few things actually before this, but yes. and the ones that stick out are like um, sex lies and videotape, yeah. that was his breakout, mm-hmm. and Schizopolis. Out of sight, the Limey, Aaron Brockovich, traffic. And Ocean's Eleven all in a row. That's insane. That's all within like three years. Yeah, that is a fucking run. And then, you know, kind of kept going and it's just never stopped. Yeah, he's, he's never he's
1: never had like an actual fallow period. There's periods of time where like I won't have seen a Soderbergh movie, but that's just because, I don't know, there was a period of time where I didn't see that many movies. It was like, ah, I live in New York, it's fucking fifteen dollars or whatever. I'm I'm making ten dollars an hour. I can't
0: Right. Almost all his movies now are released direct to streaming. Most recently he did No Sudden Move, which I think was HBO Max and Kimmy, which I want to say it was either HBO Max or Netflix.
1: Oh, I think that was HBO Max, I want to say. So
0: maybe he's got to deal with them. But like, Warner's, unfortunately, that does kind of feel like probably the only way he can keep doing these kinds of movies. Because you
1: can't make theatrical releases anymore that are under $150 million, it feels like.
0: It just is so vanishingly rare. Thinking about how this year the Fablemans did very poorly at the box office and the idea that like Steven Spielberg is now sort of an art house director. (laughs) That's kind of funny. Which is insane. I think
1: with the Fablemans in particular, though, like how the fuck do you market that movie? Like, it's there just there was
0: a time though when like that kind of movie would do perfectly true. well. The the seventies, the seventies, yeah, like a sort of uh, Kramer versus Kramer like family drama mm. kind of stuff. But also like not just the Fablemans, but West Side Story didn't do that well. And that, that is that was, kind of crazy. That Although was that the was, pandemic.
1: That was that was COVID was still like a, a, a bigger problem it than was. it is now. Uh,
0: but it still. Did didn't do very well and it's like Jesus Christ Spielberg can't get it yeah so I think maybe Soderbergh understood like if I want to keep making these mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to keep making them and this is gonna sound like an insult but I swear it isn't Soderbergh makes good airplane movies mm. like movies that you put on for a short flight they're very entertaining they're chock full of cool actors mm-hmm. who you love to see mm-hmm. it goes down easy
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's fun, it's light, it's just well-crafted, mm-hmm. but it's not like art house. You know, it's not <laughs> like trying too hard because yeah, he doesn't have time to try hard. He's got three more movies to yeah, he's, release he's, in he's, this quarter. <laughs>
1: Just working all the time. It is interesting. Like I feel like you can sense when filmmakers are fatigued, and I have yet to sense fatigue from Steven Soderbergh. And I think that's kind of why a lot of his movies have such a, a joy and a fun and a charm to them. Like, I mean, out of sight, we were talking about this, but we took a little break while watching the movie to make brownies.
0: Just normal brownies, by from the scratch. Way. Uh but not, not weed brownies.
1: No, no, just regular just brownies. Regular brownies. It feels weird now that you're insisting that they're
0: not. <laughs> they actually are just regular brownies.
1: but uh, And they're delicious. We'll put the recipe in the show notes. Yeah, maybe. But we were talking about just how charming, out of sight is Dennis Farina. Oh my God, we haven't talked about Dennis Farina. Dennis Farina is there. Oh, he's here and he's fantastic. In a role that like could easily read as either creepy, like he's he's J Lo's dad, and he is also a marshal, and he could like very easy to to have this relationship read as creepy, overbearing. I guess that's kind of it in terms of adjectives, but it doesn't at all. You get a real sense of warmth and affection. Dennis Farina just. Is so charming.
0: When he first showed up, I assumed he was going to be like a boyfriend or husband of Lopez's character, and then was very delighted to find out that he's the dad. Like, yeah. That's, that's, that's appropriate. A yeah, correct age difference. <laughs> he would be her dad, but along with him, you know, you, we mentioned Luis Guzman, Don Cheadle, of course, Don Cheadle, uh, Viola Davis, Michael Keaton shows oh, yeah, up as Jennifer Jesus. Lopez's. I forgot about Michael Keaton
1: FBI boyfriend, and he walks in, and he's wearing an FBI a shirt that says FBI in very large letters. And Dennis Farina's like, so uh, you ever wear wear one that says undercover on it? And Michael Keaton's character like does. Not know how to react
0: to this. I do love how dumb Michael Keaton's character is. Like, was he just kind of hanging around one day and they're like, hey, Mike, Come on by. He's he's listed as uncredited in Terrific. in on IMDb, which is really funny. Michael Keaton's like one of those guys who probably should have always been a character actor, but somehow fell into leading man stuff. Yeah, was,
1: Tim Burton was like, be my Batman. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, all right. All right
0: okay, sure. And like, I, I love that for him, but he's such a good character actor. Mm-hmm. Catherine Keener is here. She sure is with looking, a smoking hot bod. Yeah, looking like a fucking snack. She looks great. Snackering, here. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> she
1: has, you know, it's a like a relatively small part as, as Clooney's ex-wife. And here we have a lovely kind of reversal of the my ex-wife is a bitch thing where Clooney talks about her to J-Lo and is like, you know, we had fun, but uh, we just didn't have that spark, you know? Yeah, but we still keep in touch. We you still know, and talk. Still chat. And like... It's just really refreshing.
0: Another thing that like most 90s movies have like, oh, my ex-wife's lawyer. Like, oh, I'm getting brought to to pay, cleaners. Yeah, like, oh, what a bitch. And he, lawyers are the worst. And there's none of that, which like, Jesus, this is truly a movie out of time. Yeah. All of the things that you would expect in a movie like this aren't there in like the best way possible. Mm -hmm. It's kind of remarkable. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I appreciate you calling the Audible and having us <laughs> do kind of a non-action movie.
1: Look, there's, there's shooting.
0: There is some shooting. There's action elements. And there's a heist. I had my non-action, so it's only fair. It's only fair. Uh, and also, in both cases, you had never seen Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. I had never seen Out of Sight. So it all comes full circle.
1: Out of sight is a really great movie to just put on. It's just really zippy. You'll find yourself being absorbed a lot of the time. So like, but it's like, a you know, fold your laundry or do a puzzle <laughs> while it's on. If you're into doing puzzles. I, I
0: guess I've, we've never done a puzzle. We've
1: never done a puzzle, but I feel like the time, the time will come.
0: We're, we're reaching that we're age. Reaching... As we enter our decrepitude, <laughs> we'll become puzzle people. <laughs>
1: But we will also be out-of-sight people, and we will always have George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez looking at each other. Just looking at each other, Oh, my goodness. That's
0: it. That's all you need. So out of sight. Put uh, it on.
1: Oh, it's you have to like rent it or buy it right now. I,
0: it is on Amazon Prime uh, at the moment. Well, Probably if you're wanna if you have Prime, we go do ahead. not currently have Prime, so we did rent it, which you know it's like two ninety nine on YouTube. So whatever, worth it. Uh, but either way, check it out.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll even buy it.
0: Actually, that would be a good Blu ray good buy. Mm-hmm. That's a good call.
1: Okay. Okay. Bye. <laughs>